to the fourth talk on future leadership at Redeemer, which is a Sunday school class that we've been going through in the fall of 2021. And we've come now to the topic of, of women in leadership. Now, there's so many things to say on this topic. There's so many ways in which we can listen to one another. Um, but the, the aim of this particular talk is, uh, one, I want us to have a, a posture of collegiality in how we talk about this topic, knowing that um, not not only outside of Redeemer Church, but within the church, there, there are so many different views on uh, how women are to be, uh, how to exercise their gifts within, within the body of Christ. And just so that you know where I'm coming from, I, I went to a seminary where I, th- I thought that it was a very healthy ecumenical environment wherein um, both men and women were, were coming to Scripture and coming to conclusions about whether men and women uh, both could be elders and deacons, and then others would uh, disagree, but it, but it was always uh, core to my brothers and sisters that I went to seminary with that like we weren't going to let that um, allow us to ostracize one another. Um, and so as you, as you hear this, specifically this first section, that this is what I mean by a posture of collegiality. And then, uh, later we're going to explain the current practice of Redeemer specifically in regards to commissioning female deacons. And I use, uh, the term deacon to refer to both men and women instead of instead of deaconess, and so forgive me if that that's confusing. There's no Greek term that actually means deaconess. Um, so there's also uh, another issue with the recording, and that's all on me. Um, the first five or so minutes were cut out, and so I'm going to actually rehash that and then um, pipe us into the recording of the Sunday school, which was wonderful and it was a wonderful discussion. So uh, here's how we're going to begin the discussion within our local context. Redeemer Lincoln, Nebraska believes that women should lead in church is a right and thoroughly Christian truth. Redeemer Lincoln, Nebraska also believes that there is a distinction between men and women is also a right and thoroughly Christian truth. Now, how do these truths manifest in the life of church leaders? Um, and specifically our denomination. Well, the context of our denomination is that we, we've stated publicly uh, that, that women are not able to hold the office of elder or deacon. Now, our church uh, is part of Redeemer's family tree grows from a different denomination. The Reformed Presbyterian Church in the, of the Evangelical Synod joined the PCA in the 80s. So our denominator, the Presbyterian Church in America, um, formed in the early 70s, and the inclusion of the RPCES brought with it Covenant Seminary, Covenant College, and influential voices like 
uh, Francis and Edith Schaefer. Now, the RPCES always ordained women deacons. Uh, under our previous pastor, the elders of Redeemer with Reverend Michael Gordon implemented the practice of commissioning female deacons within our congregation, and we currently still hold this position. Now, in submission with our denomination and to our denomination, Redeemer does not ordain women deacons. We commission them. We set them apart as lay leaders instead. Now, why do we do this? Well, we do this because Jesus, uh, it's Jesus's church. Um, And in light of the revealed scripture, as best as we can understand it as a denomination, this is the interpretive decisions that, that we have made and that have guided us. Like there are real differences uh, in views among Christians who hold a high view of, of the Bible. And part of the collegiality I'm talking about here is that binary views do not need to be toxic among Christians. We can amicably disagree, and that's okay. And we can still stay on mission together, even in our differences and disagreements. People, for instance, um, people who hold that women should be elders, don't necessarily have a low view of the Bible. Um, They believe that the dominance of a man over a woman is an effect of the fall, and therefore um, the undoing of it is is part of the work of redemption. And so they see part of the undoing is, is the ordination of women into the office, the offices of the church. Redeemer uh, will seek to be collegial with other brothers and sisters in different denominations who hold this view and other brothers and sisters who may hold this view within our own congregation. Um, I'm going to talk next week about what that means for holding office, if that's where you are. Uh, secondly, people who hold that only men should be elders are not necessarily misogynists. They believe that the distinctions of roles predate the fall and show the unity and diversity of God within the Trinity itself. Redeemer currently holds that the view that only men should be ordained as elders and, and deacons. Now, here's the kind of people I think we must be. Um, we're going to experience dissonance uh, and harmony as we hold our views. And I would like us to uphold harmony in uh, the unity of the uh, the body, which we um, learned about this past week in, in Ephesians 4. So what, what do I mean by dissonance? Dissonance, some of us come to this discussion about sex and gender and church leadership with very confident views. Either the Bible, social history, and our current history are clear, um, is what f- certain folks think. Now, this leads us to be tempted to say... Anyone who disagrees with me is clearly wrong or worse, evil, intending to do harm to me or my position or the biblical witness. Um, Harmony uh, is what I would like us to uphold, which is to to have a view of women in church leadership that is held with conviction, but also humility. Um, now, below, uh, on, the, on the handout, and if you don't have a handout, um, please email me at matt at welcome to redeemer.com. But I send it out to the entire church on Sunday morning. But um, some of what I've written here has been adapted from another church, also called Redeemer, in another part of the United States. But 
I want to just orient us to the question, and then and then I'm going to uh, pick up the recording of the Sunday school class. So, wh- what are we uh, what are we ad- addressing uh, broadly, topically? Well, our views of, of gender are being redeemed. Our sin skews our ability to see the truth. We live in mystery, even within God's revealed will, even within revelation. You have to make interpretive decisions that aren't like crystal clear sometimes. Uh, Four, history brings challenges and issues to bear. Five, society brings challenges and issues to bear. And here's the way forward uh, through these very Uh, difficult questions, but also questions that God wants us to work through in community together as we open his word. Um, This is the way forward through prayer, humility, wisdom, virtue, and study of the word. So uh, how are we going to be guided in our hermeneutics? Hermeneutics is another way of saying, how do we interpret the Bible? Um, These are the aspects that guide uh, the the interpretation of scripture itself. You have both the literal word and then the literary structure of the Bible itself, which informs how you read it. So you're going you're gonna to read, you know, the book of Proverbs differently than you're going to be the, read the book of Revelation. That, that's going to inform how you interpret a particular passage of Scripture. You have systematic theology and biblical theology working in, in tandem with one another all throughout the Scripture. And what I mean by systematic theology is you... You take what Scripture says in its full scope on a on a particular topic from Genesis to Revelation. You say, okay, what what does the Scripture say here about you know human sexuality? What does the Scripture say here about righteousness? Or what does the Scripture say here about create creation? And you take every part of Scripture and you do a systematic sort of rendering of okay, what does the Scripture say? That holds uh, in what holds that intention is that the Bible is actually one long narrative pointing to Jesus Christ. And so the arc of biblical theology says that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, um, God's telling a story through through creation, through people that points directly to Jesus. And so those two things are going to guide how you interpret uh, the Bible. Other things that guide our interpretation of hermeneutics are, are the genre, um, the grammatical and historical context of that particular uh, book of the Bible, um, redempt, redemptive history, and then the cultural setting. Uh, not only their culture, but our cultural lens f- through which we read scripture. Now, it's very important to uh, define terms which will help us uh, have a better discussion. But when, when I use the word sex, I'm talking about the biological reality of men and women. When I use the word gender, I'm talking about the cultural realities that exist in our world or worlds. And then when I say church, I'm talking about God's visible representation of those who are called out by God and their participation in the kingdom of God. So that will re uh, or that will orient us um, towards the discussion that I want us to have. Now, remember the aim of this talk is uh, to talk about the posture of collegiality that I would like us to have at our church and to explain the current practice. And um, if you have more questions uh, about this topic, 
um, I'm happy to um, send you many, many more resources uh, that I think will help our denomination put forward a study committee on this topic that I think is is really, really thorough and well um, well, it's just it's just good work, and so both men and women worked on that. Um, so, uh, please let me know uh, if I can send you any more resources, and I hope you enjoy this. And one of the things I love is uh, opening up the scripture. Um, yeah, what, what are what are some things that uh, you guys see in terms of what mankind is and what we should be together? So, and just, uh, in 26, let, when it says, let us make man, that, that's the word for humankind, not just the male gender. So. Both men and women are made in the image of God. Okay, yes. Tim says both uh, men and women are made in the image of God. <laughs> Why might that be pertinent to the discussion? Just men. Right. That's right. So, see some uh, relevance to the, the dignity uh, and importance of both male and female. What else? When I hear God saying, let us make men in our own image, male and female, when I hear the S, I, I know that some people interpret the S as being like a royal we, but I feel like that's confirming that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes. Amy, that's very keen insight. So Amy is referring to that us, referring to the Trinity. So within the Godhead, you had three different persons, um, which would be just wonderful to meditate on for about an hour, what that means. What else? I'm trying to piggyback off what Ava was saying, like the let us make them in our it's it's very communal, the, the Trinity. It's not a domineering factor where one portion of that, the God, the Son of the Holy Spirit, has more power or say in a sense, mm-hmm. or or it even wields that power in such a fashion. Mm-hmm. But as to just be initially made in that same image, it kind of in my mind removes the misogynistic tendencies and the domineering tendencies, mm-hmm. you know, as more of a and I, that kind of, I don't know, it's supposed to be more with the communion of, of the two genders yep. instead of a domineering force that one stands out above the rest yep. or the other. Yep. And that them are to have dominion. It's a, it's a them thing. Yep. Good. What are the things that they're supposed to do? Well, we have dominion over all that fish and groups of all the animals, plants, the both of the people from all the life. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Anything else? Reproduce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Subdue the earth. Subdue the earth. Yeah. Grow and 
and spread the likeness from which they were created. Okay, yes. So most Hebrew scholars, what Scotty just said, the likeness from which they were created in the ancient world, when a king would conquer a land, they would put up their little images on the land so that you knew if you walked into this territory, Marduk or Pharaoh, this is his land. Um, You do what he says. And this is the context in which Genesis is written. Moses is writing to the first century uh, uh, slaves coming out of Egypt. And he's saying, you are now like a little image of God on, on the earth. And what's true of me in heaven, I want to be imaged through you in this earth so that the Garden of Eden, the, the intended design of the Garden of Eden was for it to be spread across the entire cosmos. If we had borne the image of God, if we were the image of God together, listening to his word, subduing creation, filling it up, um, that was the idea, is that God says, you are now my little image. And what's true in heaven, I want to be true on earth. Uh, that's when, when Jesus comes and, he's, and he says, uh, Father, you know, he's teaching us how to pray. And he's like, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He's referring back to Genesis. He's saying, I wanted my kingdom and my kingship over the whole earth to look like heaven so that there's a great merger. There's no separation between heaven and earth. It's where God and man dwell together. And that's the narrative arc of the gospel itself. Once you get to the end of Revelation, that's what you see happening. That God and man dwell together, his image, and it's not just a garden, it's a city now too. Totally uh, subdued under the reign of God through human beings, particularly Jesus Christ, the second Adam. Um, women are a part of that. Uh, women are, in Genesis, called uh, helpers. Now, maybe a bad translation, um, but the word helper uh, has this kind of this easer in as the Hebrew word is only used of God himself, specifically uh, in battle terminology. And that is what the woman does with, with Adam, that she comes, up, she comes alongside and fights with him, uh, not against him, but uh, to subdue creation, to rule creation, um, to fill up what's lacking uh, in his own way in which he bears the image of God. So a, a great way, a great illustration that I um, have heard, I think it was Kathy Keller said that uh, men and women together, they do reflect God separately uh, in their um, you know, separateness. But they're kind of like a piece of tinfoil and a piece of glass. And the reflection of both of those, you can kind of see the, the image there but when you put them together, you have a, you have a mirror. Um, and, and that's sort of how I think men and women, when they come together in submission to God, um, they reflect God together in a more uh, clearer and brighter way. Now you compound that with all of the church, right? 
with an entire community, and the image gets clearer and clearer and clearer and brighter and brighter and brighter, so much so that the church, when in submission to God, can look like Jesus' body in the world. Um, and, and marriages are, are kind of a small picture of uh, the epic marriage, right, of Jesus and his church. Um, we take on the feminine gender there um, as a collective people of God. Now, that's all wonderful, right? Sounds great. Uh, but then what happened? Uh, Genesis 3, the fall. So who, who will read that for me? Genesis 3, 6 through 19, you can read it loud. I breathe out of my glass. Can I read again? No, let's, let's get, uh, hey, Sarah, why don't you read, since we're talking about women. Great. <laughs> 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 um, sorry. That doesn't cross my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Very literal. Um, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What verse did I stop on? Six through what? Nineteen. Six through nineteen. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. First is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Thank you, Sarah. Um, so, we do. I do want to get to these New Testament passages, but the, the distinctive thing I want us to realize there is that both men and women were equal in their culpability during the fall. Um, and yet, their cursings were different. Um, and that matters. 
that matters for how we think about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And so there, there is, in essence, a distinction of what is going to be very, very difficult for men and what's going to be very difficult for women. Um, and that's un- universal, is what the, the point of these curses are. So um, I'm, gonna, I'm not saying that everyone in this room agrees with that, uh, nor am I saying everyone in this room <coughs> agrees with what I'm about to say. But what, I, what I'm trying to do before the time is up so that we can allow time for questions is get to here, okay? And I'm trying to explain uh, Genesis first. So if you look at verse, uh, our page four, um, these are several renderings of what it, what it means uh, that your husband's going to rule over you, okay? That's where we're going to focus, on that curse. And um, where many in our denomination land is, is for, that uh, Eve is, is going to desire to dominate Adam, usurping his authority, but he will still have authority over her in some way. Now, we've got to get into defining all those terms to actually help that make sense. But this, this is why four makes a lot of sense to me. It's the, the demerits of the other uh, render, renderings, the context of the passage, the, na- the nature of the blessing and the curses. So if you, if you go to the next chapter in Genesis, it's talking about Cain and Abel, and God um, curses Cain. And he says, um, Cain's scared that he's just going to, you know, be basically like, people are going to come after him and kill him. He says, but if if you do not do what is right, Cain, uh, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And those are the same words that are used in uh, rule um, and authority in in chapter 3 of the curses of, of Eve. And so... When I say redemption there, like, what does it mean to be fully redeemed in the image of God as both men and and women, Um, and why this is even the case in the first place, uh, are are questions that are yet to be seen, yet to be determined. But we see some of it, at least in Jesus Christ, um, of the pathway along um, what the new creation will, will be like. So, that's the context of... Um, first, first Timothy three and two, and then six through or eight through sixteen. As we think about the qualifications of, of deacons and why we commission uh, deacon female deacons within our church, um, and what you'll see in, ver- in uh, five, five and six on the on the pages of the handout is basically uh, an explanation of the argument for why female uh, deacons should be uh, commissioned in our church. So um, the, uh, the, the literary structure, the way that the Greek uses the word gunaikais or, or gunai, which can be translated wife or woman, um, but also a, a really strong a place in scripture where, where it seems to indicate that women, there were women deacons in the first century is, is Romans 6, 16, verse 2, where Phoebe is actually called uh, a deacon. 
That said, um, the other side of the argument for why you shouldn't have deacons is that uh, many scholars look at that word diakonos, which means uh, servant or serving tables, is used very broadly uh, in the scriptures and in the first century to just describe a normal, what a normal Christian should do. Um, and so you, you'll see that in our, like you don't see it in the Greek, but in our passage that I'm going to preach from in Ephesians 4, um, that word's used as uh, all Christians. And so it, it has a generic scope as well. Um, but what I want to do is, is make sure I leave enough time for, for questions about this topic. Um, so I don't know if I want to take it all up by just talking. Um, so let's just stop here and see if we have any questions. Yes, Jesse. Um, I guess I'm curious on why we don't ordain the deaconesses versus commission. I just don't see any, there's no like differential in the scripture, right? Of like, okay, we can have them, but we will do something different. So where does that come from? Yeah, um, part of that is in submission. So the question is, what's the difference between ordaining and commissioning? Part of that is in submission to our denomination. And so, uh, broad, broadly speaking, this is where our denomination has, has landed. And the, the issue comes down to um, basically a, a debate on what ordination is. And so, I, I would refer you back to the PCA Study Committee of the 45th Gen General Assembly, and that, that's a question that they hone in on a lot. Um, and so, Broadly speaking, our denomination as a whole hasn't said there's enough exegetical biblical evidence to ordain women, but it seems very clear in Scripture that deacons had the help of women um, throughout the New Testament church. And so that's, that's not doing justice at all to the study, but generally speaking, that's um, why. So, like our denomination as a whole, looking at Scripture, this is the conclusion we've made. We don't see strong evidence. As the PCA, we don't see strong evidence to ordain. Now, not every church is there. There's a, a spectrum on where we land on that. So, and the, the churches that came into our denomination in the 80s from the RPCES did not have that interpretation. They did ordain the deaconesses? Correct. Yeah. Um, and I believe the ARP does too, which is a, another Presbyterian denomination that is kind of has a heritage in Scotland. And the EPC also ordains deaconesses? Yeah. The what? EPC. Well, yeah, and the EPC um, has female ruling elders as well. That's true. Yeah. Yes, Mona. First Timothy, it's, <clears throat> sorry. It's okay. <clears throat> In First Timothy, it talks about a deacon being married to one woman. Okay, so as a woman, 
how does that apply to us? Are we supposed to be married to one man and then all those other qualifications, you know, not be given a line and yeah. all those other things? So it just changes and instead of saying man, you say woman, you be married to one Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Look at uh, page five. So this is a, a commentator, Young. Oh, I know this happened. You don't have page five? I, I have a handout and it's not the right one. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay. So, and this this is where like this the scope of this class, um, we could uh, we could get lost in the exegesis of, of this passage. But let me, let me just answer your question. Okay. Um, Young, uh, a commentator, if you, if you go to 1 Timothy, um, starting in verse 2, this is old transition. It behooveth, therefore, the overseer to be blameless of one wife, vigilant, sober, decent, a friend of strangers, apt to teach. Ministrants, or, or deacons, in like manner, are not to be double-tongued, not given to much wine, not given to filthy lucre, <laughs> having the secret of a faith and pure conscience, and let these also... Be proved and let them minister, being unblameable. Women, in like manner, not false accusers, vigilant, faithful in all things, ministrants, let them be of one wife husbands, in his translation. So, what's, what's happening right there is that there is no an, um, d- distinction between elder and elder's wives in 1 Timothy, but when you get to deacon... It, it has all these qualifications for deacons, and then it says, and their wives. Um, that's a, an interpretive decision by translators saying that, okay, what Paul is talking about there is the wife of deacons. And some translators say, no, he's starting a different category that is female deacons, right? And so Young, Young's translation would, like that's why it says, of one wife, husbands, uh, the children well, uh, leading well in their own households for those did not minister well, a good step to themselves do acquire as much boldness, faith in Christ Jesus. Um, that is, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of study on that particular transition there. Um, so... And you got to make a you got to make a decision, an interpretive decision. So would that be based? I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, would that be based on the character of the person, um, the woman that's chosen or um, made a candidate for deacon? Would she be? Yes. Okay. And and you see also in Timothy what um, the early church called the order of widows, and you see direct um, counsel given to widows who are these 
women in the early church who didn't, who didn't have husbands, either they died or they, they left them, and they, and they were just sort of like matriarchs of the church. And they seemed to be a very sort of dominant presence within these house churches within the early church. And none of them had husbands, um, but they were leaders. Um, so, I mean, the church at Philippi was formed by <laughs> two, two women and a Roman soldier. Um, one woman was, she was formerly crazy, like had a demon type crazy. And the other, the other woman, Lydia, she was rich. She sold nice clothing. Yes, Jen. Um, so conversations I've had about women's leadership, it's, it gets back to what can women do in the church if we can't be an elder or a commission deacon? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe some women feel like they have leadership skills. I mean, is there, do you feel like there's places at Redeemer that women can serve in that capacity with these gifts that they have? Yes, uh, I do. I think we can do a lot more. Um, I, I think that um, women and men uh, across the board can lead in so many other ways than what we are doing right now. Um, and so, for instance, and I think we do a decent job at this, but like within the, within the worship service itself, um, and this is a conversation with the elders that, that we've been having. Uh, I think that women should be involved at every level of the worship service, aside from preaching and, and commissioning or setting apart the sacraments. I think that that's uh, for the ordained office of pastor to do, preach and do the sacraments, um, mysteries of the means of grace, as Paul talks about it. Everything else, I, am, I, I want women to be involved in. Whether that's the liturgy or the reading of the word. I also think that um, women should be uh, con- consulted with all the time by the elders. In terms of pastoral situations. And I think in large part that's uh, what um, Paul had in mind with these order of widows. It's like that they reached out to women and said, we need, we need some help on how to pastor the church. Um, and so, in so many ways, the, the men are only half the image of God, you know. Um, and so, and the other side is like, well, most elders have wives and there's a, you know, a union there and they, they help. Um, I, I think that we can include women in many more ways than, than we're currently doing. But I do think we do a decent job. Um, but we could do better. Uh, in terms of employment, yes, I, I want more of that. Uh, I want more women, um, you know, like I talked with Ted Power, who's the leader of the Midwest Church Alliance of Church Planting within the PCA. And his wife in the Chicago area is basically the, exec- the executive um, person on staff for their entire church. So she run, he literally said she runs the church. Um, and I think that, yeah, uh, a woman um, can be, just like a man, uh, can be 
a huge asset and service to the church. Um, but I do think scripture is clear that like a man should uh, be the preacher um, and the sacrament giver. But I, I, but I went to a seminary with all sorts of people who didn't come down the, on that side of things. And uh, I'm like, yeah, we, I trust that you're trying to be faithful to scripture. I am too. Yes, Michaela. Um, yeah, what is, uh, you said that you guys consult with women. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that look like practically now, I guess? Like, is yeah. that like elders' wives specifically, or is that like Jen, or? Um, so, for instance, I consult with Indra all the time. Um, Indra has been in ministry uh, for a long time, and I, I think that she is one of the most uh, golden assets to any church I've ever seen in my life. And so I hold her word in high esteem, not only over my life, but in pastoral situations. And so, for instance, um, even at the Presbyterian level, when we have had to do disciplinary things that involve uh, women and, and their husbands, um, I have sometimes brought injured in and said, hey, do you see something that we don't see as men? Um, and so what, what I think we should be about is, is training people like Indra um, in formal ministry settings like a seminary or counseling or whatever, just like we do men, and say, and say, hey, go serve this church or come back and serve our church because you're freaking gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, we need you. And so um, that's how it's playing out right now uh, with us. But... There are many more ways it could. So, yeah. Um, Renee, and then, yeah. (laughs) Are there specific scriptural reasons for drawing the line at men and not women for a certain... Like, is there something about women or something about men that makes them specifically qualified or not qualified or able or not able to do that? Pastor, the things that you said yeah. that only yeah. men can do. Is there something scriptural that says, um, I mean, because God says, I love you because I've loved you. I love you because I love you, yeah. right? So sometimes we're not given reasons, or they're just, it's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. You know? Is there a specific, like, so we draw this line about men and women, mm-hmm. but is it scriptural why men? Or why not women? Yeah, I mean, if if that if it's is it scriptural? Well, I mean, I would say reason, yeah. re, like, um, I'm not arguing with the way that you're interpreting like the passages that you're saying that scripture says yeah. this, but I'm asking, are there? Is there also? Scriptural, like how would you, how would you explain why not women or particularly why men? Yeah, and and I would say in in light of God's revelation, as I interpret it, this this is I'm trying to be as true to the text as I possibly can. It really seems clear to me, as clear as it can be, which is about eighty percent. That like 
uh, men should be elders. Like in various parts of the New Testament, it's just, it would, in my own conscience, as I'm reading the text, I, I feel like I would be doing harm to my exegesis of the actual places in Scripture <coughs> where it's talking about the qualification of elder. I think um, that I'm not, I'm not trying to like argue, like even are you interpreting it right or yeah. not right? I'm just asking like beyond just the fact that I think this is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Is there other places, like, like are there scriptural reasonings for why God did that? If that um, like if that's the correct interpretation. Yeah. Like are there places where God says this is why? Yeah. Well, that like, that's why yeah. So just, yeah, that's a good question. Like you like I understand. Yeah. You take like God says it, so that's what I'm doing. You're, and I'm just asking are there are, are there places where God gives insight in the scripture as to why. why. Um, so, I'll, I'll answer that. I'll, I'll try to answer that too. This is a good question, Renee. Because um, you're asking the ontological question, like the essence of yeah. it. Like, that's why we started out in Genesis. Um, there seems to be, okay, men and women are different. Um, and so, therefore, the way that they are cursed and blessed is different in how it's hand out by God. Um, and so, that's part of it. Um, the other part of it is, in, and this this is my take on it, and I think I've heard the, the scholar at Covenant Yarborough also say this. I think God calls men to be elders because we are particularly bad at it. And we are particularly weak at it. And the qualifications of elder in Scripture, I see that Sarah has those in spades. That it's, it comes easy for Sarah to be gentle. It comes easy for her to, to lead in a way that I wish I could. Um, and so my own life experience is that oftentimes what God calls me to do is move towards the areas in which I really don't want to go. And I kind of hate it. Um, but he's calling me there so, so that his strength could be shown in my weakness. Now, I've used that line of argument with, with dear friends who disagree with me on, and women who disagree with me like, you know, they don't, they don't like my view. Um, and they don't, they don't like that take on it. But that's as honest as I can, I can say. I, I think that part of why men are called is because we're, we're terrible at it. Um, in our DNA. <laughs> but that's not, you know. Yeah, I hope that partially answers why I come at it like that. But there's, there's a reason why um, Paul tells husbands. <coughs> To love their wives like Christ loved the church. Um, and it, I think it's because we don't. Um, I think that's because that's the hard thing for us as men in particular. Now, 
granted, there's all sorts of different experiences and different types of men. You know, like, I get it. You can't speak to every single situation, but... You're, like, as far as answering Renee's question, you're saying, like, in your view, yes, there are these other parts of Scripture where it seems to explain why, like, as far as you can tell, why is in the explanation of weaknesses and strengths in other parts of Scripture. Like, that's part of your her question of, like, is there somewhere else in Scripture that kind of gives us an idea of, like, why he's saying this? And you're saying, like, that's, for you, how you're reading it is, those are some of those spots where it talks about, you know, the curse for men, the curse for yeah. men, what's going to be hard for men and women. Yeah. And these other parts of Scripture. I didn't totally, like, answer the question, but yeah. I'm just trying to rephrase your answer. I mean, I think part of what I'm saying is if we're going to take this question seriously, I need to think about do I need to wear a head covering and never say another word mm-hmm. in church? You know, I mean, like, yeah. if I'm really going to dig into what does the scripture say? Yeah. So part of my question is, if we start from this is what, this, what the scripture says, mm-hmm. what does the scripture say? Right. About, and, like, yeah. And so, um, like. What, like, this, you know, somewhere between <coughs> the, the example of. Stealing is somewhere between a grape and a... For sure, yeah. You know, a- absolutely. So, so, like, if you go back to page two, like, when I say this is what Scripture says, those are all the things that are going to inform our hermeneutics. Uh, like, there, it's, it's, more, it's more than just, like, this is the literal wooden thing that it, that it says, but you have to take all of those things into account. So Tish Warren, if you, if you read or listened to her... She, she talks about that. She's like, if I want to take this question seriously, I better be ready to cover my head, right? I just listened to that. This yeah, Sorry. yeah. And so, and so like, I think that that's, that's the, the right approach to these topics and to the text. It's like, okay, I, am, I love that because she's like, I'm submitting to the text. Uh, I am holding the text over how I think and how I feel, um, and that's the posture of an image of God. And I, I've, I fully did, and this is what I mean by posture of collegiality. She's like, you know, I could, like, I could be wrong. I'm about like 80% sure. I'm just like, that's kind of about where I'm at. Like, we, we have all sorts of things like this in Scripture where it's just like, you know, Stu always talks about, Stu Kearns, like, you know, First circle, second circle, third circle, you know. Um, and this is, this is what I would say, along with the sacraments, is a second circle issue. It's very important, and a very important one. Um, but it is not the gospel. And so we actually can differ and sit across the table from one another and, like, grimace with how we explain things, you know, like that's, and, and still be in unity with each other in Christ, um, but I trust that Tish is like coming to the, the scripture and, and trying, you know, real hard to be honest. Um, me too. Same with somebody who comes to the scripture and is like, I don't believe that you should baptize babies. And I'm like, I get that. I do. Let's play ball together, you know? <laughs> 
And sometimes when you come to, like, I'm, I might be asking a question that the scripture is not actually interested in answering. You know, I mean... Yeah. So, well, I, well, I appreciate it, and, like, I, like I'm gonna, I really liked your answer, and I'm going to think about it. Um, I'm not sure that it was quite giving what I was asking in terms of is there something in scripture that say why men are I mean your answer is that men like are you're bad at this yeah. you know but is there like anywhere in scripture that God says I'm choosing men to do these offices because I'm bad at it and I'm not choosing women because they're naturally good. Okay, so, like, yeah, yeah. So, like, I didn't say scripture said that. I said that. In, in, my, in my experience. No, I know. That's what And there was no scriptural proof of that. I'm asking. <laughs> it's just, like, my gut. Uh, no, 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 please understand. I didn't misunderstand yeah, yeah. you. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm asking, like, is there something in scripture that says, like, these that question, and maybe there's not, like, maybe there's not a place where God says, this is why I say men do this, and do this, like, clearly says, this is why not women do this question. I'm sorry, I'm done. No, no, I like it, but Renee, so Renee's line of questioning is a great example of why we can have follow-up conversations about this, And, and this is, like, a good conversation to have across the table one-on-one, um, which I would love to do, Renee. Uh, and many women at Redeemer want, want to discuss that too. So I'd be all for that. Um, Mona, you can ask one more question, then we got to close up shop. Uh, I, I really don't have a question. I'm just going to make a couple of statements. Okay. Basically, what you're saying is men are a hot mess. Mm-hmm. But it's God that says they are the prophet priests and kings in their house. So the responsibility and the accountability falls on the man first, and then we as helpers or help meets or um, walking in the same covenant agreement as women have to be vulnerable and available to help clear up the hot mess and to be available to complete the prophet, the king, and the priest in the household as he is taking the responsibility and accountability for the the family, the house, the the tribe, the yeah. people that um, God has given him. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't good. really have a question, but yeah. basically what you were saying in, <clears throat> in your own way is that men are a hot mess and they are weaker and more vulnerable. Emphasis but on the hot mess. God, right, because of the position God has set them in as prophet, king, and priest, then we as women have to be stronger and yet still available to help as the weaker vessel to complete the man's positioning because he is responsible and accountable for being the prophet priest in kingdom. Thanks for sharing. Jen, will you close us in prayer? So let us give ourselves
love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We want to love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We want to love like you, love like you. 